Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast, the show designed for men who are ready to rethink the role of alcohol in their lives. Get ready to hear some awesome coaching insights, powerful tools, captivating interviews and first-hand experiences, all dedicated to helping you rethink your relationship with alcohol for good. I'm your host, Patrick Fox. Let's go. Hi guys and welcome to episode number 132 of the Alcohol Rethink Podcast. Happy New Year fellas, welcome to 2024. Hope this one is going to be an awesome one for you and a sober one if that's what you're looking for or radically rethinking alcohol one for you. New Year's always funny, I used to be such a big advocate of it in a sense right like I was always excited about going out on New Year's Eve not because it was a new year but just because it was another night to go out and get wasted and would wake up on New Year's Day just feeling absolutely terrible (laughs) and feeling guilty and shameful and you know like all these expectations of New Year's resolutions and whatnot and just actually being stuck to the sofa with a raging headache or even worse just going out and carrying on drinking right and it was always just it, like I look back and I think it's just such a shit way to start a new year so this year I had people around my house we had a little gathering we put YouTube on at 10 o'clock and watched the fireworks in Sydney because we had loads of kids around so that was nice we kind of did an early new year's celebration and then once all the kids had gone and to sleep or whatever we stayed up and watched the Jules Holland Hootenanny show so that was quite nice as well so it was very chilled out and then just got up the next day and just loved life right like was able to do all the things that I wanted to do so today guys I want to go through something that might really help you if you're doing dry January because there's a lot of people out there doing it which is fantastic or if you're just in that process of rethinking alcohol. And what I want to explore with you is talking about triggers and talking about urges and cravings. And I'm probably going to use those two words interchangeably because they're actually very similar. And I'm going to go through and explain the slight difference between them two very, very shortly. But before I do, just a couple of things I want to do in this episode are to read out a couple of testimonials. So I've had guys reaching out to me and just saying thank you for the podcast and for the work that I'm doing in the world. And I just wanted to read out a couple of the things that they've been saying because I think it's fantastic and it just blows my mind to think that this podcast can make such a difference to so many guys all across the planet. So the first one was, Hi Patrick, just wanted to wish you a happy new year and thanks. I listen to your podcast a lot and find it really relaxing and keeps me in tune with why I'm doing and what I'm doing. I'm just under five months sober from cocaine and alcohol, all substances actually now, including cigarettes. Thanks a lot and happy new year. Firstly, to that guy, fucking congratulations, man. That's absolutely incredible. Five months. But not only is he free from alcohol, he's free from cocaine and cigarettes as well. Like that's that's some achievement, mate. You should be very, very proud of yourself. So thank you. And the second one was a little bit of a longer email. So I'm just going to paraphrase it. And it goes, hi, Patrick, I've been wanting to send you an email to say thank you for your fantastic podcast, which I've been using as an invaluable resource in my journey of sobriety. Essentially, I'm a case, a typical case of many, many people in society whose relationship with alcohol developed into a daily habit, which affected all the usual aspects of life, physical and mental health, work and relationships. 
With all the knowledge I've accumulated in the last 10 months from your podcast and others, I've no desire to drink again because abstinence is easier than moderation. My relationships with my wife and children are much better and I would deteriorate if I drank again. My physical and mental health would also suffer. I also know... I also, I also now know that neurologically, my brain will never forget the pleasure pathways of my decades of drinking. I've heard and read too many stories of people giving up alcohol for years and deciding to drink again, only for it to end up in tears. Again, congratulations, man. Um, as I say, that was a slightly bigger email, but I paraphrased it, but there was a lot of wins in that. And, you know, it's such a, a typical story, as he says, of the journey that we go through. And, you know, my philosophy is that it's just easier not to drink. And I think the more time you've had away from alcohol, the more that makes sense. But it's challenging if you haven't had much of a break from alcohol to really see how it could be easier without alcohol. And look, guys, I was in that for years, you know, thinking I could have it both ways. But eventually I just realized that it was far easier to, to not drink than it was to drink. So, guys, thank you. For those two who, who messaged in and for everyone else who's either contacted me on Instagram or emailed me, it means a lot. It just inspires me even more to keep going and to keep helping you and keep coming up with as many ways as possible to help you rethink alcohol in your life. So a couple of other things before I dive into the episode. I feel like I've had a lot going on this week. One was actually yesterday. I was in the gym. Uh, when I left, there was a lady in front of me and as she was walking down the path, she jumped up in the air and put her fist up and went, yes. And I thought it was absolutely amazing. And, you know, she was just celebrating herself. She was celebrating that she'd gone to the gym. And I think it's such an important part of not just going to the gym, but in life, right? Like being able to celebrate ourselves more, like give ourselves a pat on the back or jump up in the air, whichever we want it to be, to acknowledge what we're doing because it's so easy to focus on what we're not doing. So by actually focusing on what we are doing and giving ourselves that thanks and praise, like it goes a long, long way. So... Yeah, I had a conversation with her about it afterwards and it was really cool. So think about how you can do that more for yourselves, guys. Then also this week, I went to a book launch. So I went to see Nigel Jones. He was on this show a few months ago, actually, and he was talking about his book, Walking Back to Happiness. And it's an amazing book, guys. If you haven't read it, I really recommend it. There's loads of loads of wisdom in there, but there's also lots of practical things in there, which I really enjoy. And as he's a coach as well, there's a lot of things that we both do that complement each other nicely in the work we're doing. So I'd highly recommend go check that out. But it was really cool going to that book launch and being there with everybody else in the room who had either stopped drinking or was looking to stop drinking. And it was really nice just having conversations, hearing different people's journeys to sobriety because they're all different, right? Like there's no one way that everybody does it but there are lots of similarities so it's cool just hearing things from a different perspective so i really really enjoyed doing that and finally i got a new christmas present it was a bulldog shaver if you're not familiar with that a bulldog shaver is like it shaves your head basically it gives you cuts you down to the bone if you like and it's got like four little spinners and the hair goes inside to the actual application so that there's no mess and it's super quick and I fucking love it. It's such a great present. And I'm going to come back to that, actually, about why I'm sharing that little bit of information with you. So let's dive into today's show. So I'm going to split it into two parts, if you like. The first part I want to talk about are triggers 
and understanding what a trigger is and how we can use that as information going forward. And then the second part is about urges or cravings and they are kind of the effect of the trigger. So firstly, I'm going to go through and talk about triggers. So I looked up the dictionary definition of what a trigger is because I like to do that. And what it comes back with is a trigger is an event or situation, etc., that causes something to start. Okay, so it's an event or situation, etc., that causes something to start. Another definition of a trigger, as you may be aware, is for a gun, right? Like, so it's about pulling the trigger, which is very similar, right? Like you pull the trigger and that causes a chain reaction. So we can think about it like that almost, like there's something that happens that causes something else, like cause and effect. Now my definition of a trigger, or like my extension of that definition, is a trigger is a circumstance. So a trigger in and of itself is neutral, right? It is neither good nor bad. And it could be a place, could be an event, could be a person, could be a smell, could be a sound, it could be an item, could be an emotion, right? It could be a deadline at work. It could be the end of the working week. Like these could all constitute as triggers. So for me, a trigger works twofold, right? Like there's the thing that happens and it could be any of those circumstances I described and more, right? as I say, in and of themselves, like they are neutral. They are just something that happens. But the difference is, is now once we experience that thing, whatever that thing may be, then the the second part of that trigger is then how you think about that event, that place, that person, that smell, that sound, etc. Right. And usually it's going to be very unconscious. Like you're not going to necessarily be aware that you're having thoughts about something that's happened. Right. So it's your brain's interpretation of what's going on. Maybe it's your brain going to the past to remember something that's happened previously. And that thought process, that is what then leads on to the urge or the craving. So triggers can be emotional. They can be psychological associations. And I find with triggers, especially when it comes to alcohol, at least, that more often than not, like dopamine has played a part in that. And the role that dopamine plays is that, say, it's the end of the working week and you go for, you feel like you need to go out, you need to do something. So you go to the pub and you have a beer, you're like, oh, I really need a drink. So you have a drink and then you get that reward, that buzz, that feeling from drinking alcohol, right? Like you get a dopamine release. So your brain is now associated at the end of the working week with having a beer. I mean, it's very simplistic terms, but you can you can kind of see how it might play out, right? And there's going to be lots of different circumstances or triggers where you can start exploring okay so where are the associations where I want to have a drink now when that you get that dopamine from having a drink in relation to a circumstance or a trigger like your brain's going to remember that and so the next time something very very similar comes up your brain's going to go look through its archive in your brain and go, oh yeah, this is what we did last time and this is how it felt last time. So this is what we've got to do this time, right? And just think, we've been through the month of December and you've probably experienced loads of that. So a couple of examples of triggers might be your drive home. 
this is one that comes up often actually is like on your drive home from work there's a particular shop that you would stop at on the way home and buy a few beers right so as you're driving home like you're going to see that shop and it's going to create thoughts in your mind like but when we look at it like a shop's just a shop like it can't do or make you feel anything but when you drive past that shop, you're going to go, oh, this is what I do. This is what I've done last time. That's where I get my beer. Like your brain's going to start remembering the experience or the feeling that you get from going in there and buying the beers and then going home and sitting down and drinking them, whatever it may be. So it could be that. It could be a smell, right? Like when I go into my local pub, when I go into the toilets, the smell in there, because it's right next to the restaurant and whatever, like it just reminds me of doing cocaine like it's such a bizarre thing like every time i go in there it's like my brain is reminded of that and this is five years later you know but that association i had with being in there and doing cocaine like it's like bonded in my brain so it makes me remember that thing and now obviously it doesn't make me want to do it i just see it as a, a reminder of what i did I would even actually add into triggers like our own thoughts can be a trigger sometimes, right? Like uh, the way that we're even thinking might trigger us to want to drink. One of the most common things that comes up with a lot of guys I work with is a reason why they want to drink. I think they want to drink is because they just want to switch off their brain. They just want to get away from their own thoughts. So that even on even can be a trigger in itself, right? Like is how you're thinking. So we're looking at different ways, different triggers right and there are many perceivedly and the reason why i'm sharing this with you and perhaps going into a lot of detail around it is because i think the more that you start becoming aware of what triggers you of what sets off that chain reaction of thoughts and feelings or urges the more you can begin to anticipate it the more you can begin to expect it right so if you know that on your drive home from work there's a particular shop that you used to go buy beers you can plan for when you get close to it that your brain might you know unconsciously start looking at it and trying to suggest to you or convince you to go and pick up some beers but knowing ahead of time that that's what's going to happen you could go oh yeah this is the part of the story where my brain tries to tell me to go and get a beer right you can start to create some space some distance from it so understanding what your triggers are is going to be really, really helpful because you can make a plan and prepare for them ahead of time, right? You don't have to freak out when you're driving past that shop and your brain starts going to have a beer and you go, oh my God, what's the matter with me? Why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? Am I an alcoholic? Right? Like it sets off a whole other chain reaction of thoughts that make you want to drink instead because you want to escape them. So understand what your triggers are because then you have more power over them you have more control over them you don't have to let that primitive brain run wild and just kind of run the show trying to convince you to go and have a beer all right so that's triggers hopefully that's been helpful for you hopefully that's something that you can now go away and you can start identifying and maybe you're already aware of them right but i actually think it can really pay off to start writing them down or what, however you want to do this, right? But write them down, become really aware of what your triggers are because the more aware you are of it, you can see like, oh, that's just my habitual brain, right? Like that's just my brain remembering a source of dopamine. That's my brain trying to get this particular feeling that I had the last time I did that action of going in the shop and buying beer. And by knowing that, you can have more compassion for yourself. You can create more distance and you don't need to 
worry that something's gone wrong, you can actually start to talk to yourself and calm yourself down and really get that parasympathetic nervous system in, in regulation. All right, so that was part one, triggers. Part two, let's talk about urges and cravings. So they're very similar meanings, but I'm going to share both of them anyway. So an urge in the dictionary says a strong desire or need, or a craving says a strong feeling of wanting something. So urge is a strong desire or need, and a craving is a strong feeling of wanting something. With that craving definition, I'd even argue, right, that it's more a strong thought of wanting something versus a strong feeling of wanting something. There is definitely feelings there, but it's the thoughts that are creating those feelings to begin with. It's the thoughts that keep kind of like nudging you in that direction of like, go do it, go do it, go do it. Understanding that when you have an urge or a craving, basically it's your brain trying to tell you that, oh, this thing's important, let's go do it. We need it right now. And if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you may have heard dopamines, right? And I talk about dopamines is like my play on words of dopamine and essential needs. And actually recognizing like what we really need and what our brain thinks our needs are very, very different. And again, by becoming aware and cr creating some curiosity around this, you can start to actually question when your brain's telling you that you need to have a beer and go, do I really need to have a beer? Like, is that really what I need right now? Or is it something else going on for me? So when it comes to urges and possibly why I wanted to share this episode with you is because I'm experiencing myself at the minute, not with alcohol, but actually with food or well, in particular like UPF food, snacky food. So I'm going through this whole rethink myself at the minute about the way that I eat and why I eat the way that I eat. And I'm reading the book called Ultra Processed People by Dr. Chris Van Tullikin and it kind of is infuriating, man, like understanding what's in our food, you know, like when you look at those labels and see all those words, what those words actually mean and how those chemicals were actually created in the first place. It's kind of disgusting. And I'm noticing that I'm reading that and it's making me not want to eat those kinds of foods anymore, which I could think can only be a positive thing. But at the same time, like I've had my habits or routines of eating or having a bag of crisps after 3 p.m. Or, you know, for me, a trigger with food is when I eat something spicy. So if I eat spicy food, I can feel that heat in my mouth, right? So that sensation that I experience of my mouth, that heat, like that's the trigger, right? And when I feel that trigger, which is totally neutral, by the way, but my thought processes go to, okay, well, I need to have something sweet now to take away the spice. And what that often meant was having some chocolate or something along those lines. So when I have something spicy, like I know is that my brain's like, oh, we need to have some chocolate right now. And then that's, that leaves me with an urge because like now my brain's thinking, right, we need chocolate, right? We need to go and do this. We need to go figure this out. And it wants to create an uh, uh, urgency towards it, right? Think about that word, urge, urgency. My brain's trying to tell me like, this is really important. You need to go do something about it. So it kind of leaves me with that uncomfortable feeling of, of wanting something and at the same time, not being able to have it because I don't want to have it because I know that that's actually a habit or a pattern that I want to break in myself. So it can feel uncomfortable, right? And then the, the, what I notice is the brain starts playing ping pong with you, right? Like there's like two parts of you, two wolves, as um, 
Nigel Jones calls it in his book, right? There's one part that's like, go and have the chocolate, just have the chocolate. Like, and my brain will start scanning, right? It will tell me where it is in the kitchen. It will tell me what type of chocolate it is, right? That's all with me just sitting there at the dinner table still, which is incredible, right? Like, Because it shows how much our brains are looking for us because it thinks something's important. And it remembers that association with the dopamine that I, I would get from eating the chocolate. And, you know, my brain just runs through it. It's like the melting of the chocolate in my mouth and the way that it tastes, etc., etc. Now, if you're listening, you may even be experiencing an urge for chocolate right now just because of the way I've been talking about it. But like, isn't that fascinating to think that that is the power of words that's the power of the language that our brain offers like we start having an anticipatory response right like your mouth starts watering ahead of time whether that's chocolate or beer or whatever and so understanding that like nothing's gone wrong like this is just the way that your brain works so yeah then i noticed those feelings of wanting to go and have chocolate and then so this this battle starts in my brain it's a bit like with my dog benji right like he when we take them out for dog walks, we've got two of these bulls, chuck it bulls. They're really fucking good, like very sturdy bulls for the dog and they go a long way. So I'll throw one <clears throat> and because he can be a dick sometimes, like he won't drop it or give it back to me. So I have to throw the other one in order to get the first one back. Um, and then after a little while, like we, when he doesn't want to chase him anymore, we'll just sit down and they'll have both bulls in front of him. And he will be so confused. He'd be so confused about which ball he wants. Like, first he'll have one ball, and then he'll jump on the other ball, and then he'll jump on the other ball because he's forgot about that ball. And then, like, you can just see this cognitive dissonance happening with him, right? Like, these competing ones. Like, he wants that one, but he also wants this one, and he can't have both, right? And it's such a beautiful example of what happens when we're having that urge, right? Like, there's part of us that wants it, the part that has been pre-programmed and conditioned to desire and want and has got all the experiences. And then there's the other part of us that doesn't want it. The part of us that needs nurturing and cultivating, right? The part of us that is still kind of in training, let's say, right? It needs a little bit more practice. So I see my dog doing this, right? And that's what happens in my brain. And what I find really, really helpful when I start noticing that ping pong is to talk to myself out loud, <laughs> say to myself what's going on. Now, obviously, that's not always going to be ideal if you're in public or whatever. But for me, it's just like, I don't want chocolate. Like, this isn't what I want. Like, this is just my brain thinking about something or a way that I've done something in the past that's been conditioned to think is going to happen next. And this isn't what I want anymore. And it doesn't mean it's going to go, go away straight away. Like pff, within seconds, sometimes that might, that thinking will come back. Like, yeah, no, just go get a chocolate. And then it's like, nope, it's okay. That's not really what I want, right? And I know that this feels a bit uncomfortable and I'm not a massive fan of what's happening in my brain right now. But if I just leave it for a little bit, eventually it's going to go away. There are lots of other things that you can do with urges. What I'd say is there's no one size fits all solution here. Yet there are many solutions. It's about going out and finding out what works best for you. You know, it's about firstly creating awareness that you're even having that urge so that you can create the space to not just react to it, not just to kind of go autopilot and just go and have a beer, right? So first, like create that awareness that is even happening. 
that awareness is created in part by understanding what triggers it in the first place. Because once you're aware that you're triggered, like for me with food, spicy food, once I know that that's going to happen, I can plan ahead of time. Like, okay, so when I eat this, this is what's going to happen next. And I can decide, well, okay, what do I want to do about it instead? And so noticing that, you know, and create that awareness. And then it's about having a willingness to be able to test and experiment with different ways to manage that urge, to be able to move through it, to allow it to be there, right? And I'll give you a couple of examples of what that might be in a minute. And once you find the thing that works for you, right, then you might be able to start creating space to explore why you may have even been feeling like that in the first place. Because sometimes we can get urges for no particular reason. And we're having urges all the time, guys, when you think about it, right? Like urges show up in our lives in lots and lots of different ways. But so coming back to my example of the bulldog clippers earlier, right? Like I used them and it felt amazing and I love it. And I'm just totally invested in using these things forever now. Now it felt good, right? There was no negative consequence of me using those bulldog clippers. But if I was to now think that I wanted to start using them like every hour, well, that's not going to be so practical, right? And also not necessary either, right? So if I started to use them every hour, that's going to start preventing me from doing other things in my life and also very unnecessary. So having that urge to want to do it more and more, then that starts becoming a problem. I can start investigating and go, well, why is that coming up for me? So it's noticing that urges are linked to the association of the feeling that you think you're going to experience once you do something. You know, even just recording this podcast or planning this podcast, man, like I have I was having urges to check my phone. I was having urges to go and do something else. And I was like, well, what, why, what's going on for me? Like, why do I keep wanting to check my phone? And because there was like a discomfort in planning the episode, because like I tried to make it perfect. I tried to, I would just want to cram in as much value for you as possible. And it was, I was like overdoing it in my own brain. So I was trying to get away from that. So just understanding that that was there. I just took a minute, I took some breaths. I actually came back to it the next day because I thought, you know what? I just need a little bit of space from this. And I was able to come back and it just felt so much better. It came a lot more fluidly for me. So I think we're having urges all the time, guys, like for lots of different things. But you know, the, the urges only become a problem when we recognize that they are creating a negative consequence for us. It's when we recognize that we're having that cognitive dissonance like my dog, right? We're recognizing like there's, we having a competing one, like there's this thing that I want, but there's this other thing that I want more. And hopefully that other thing you want more now is gonna be to, to not drink, right? So we need to start giving that other thing more value. And the more value you give it, the more importance you give it, that's when it makes that decision-making process even easier for you. That's why I talk about the seesaw of change, right? Like once you start giving not drinking more value than drinking, like that's when change begins to happen for you. So just one final thing on urges. And hopefully some of these examples I've given resonate or have been helpful with you. And I think this is really important as well, right? Is understanding what the urge is doing for you. Right, like why might the urge be there for you? And I don't mean like in a blamey way. I mean like actually being curious and understanding like, well, what's this urge to drink helping me do? 
right? And it might sound weird because it might not feel like it's helping you do anything, but perhaps it is. You know, a lot of talk in why people use alcohol is that we've got unmet, unmet needs, right? Like there's something in our life emotionally or whatever it may be that isn't being met. And I do think that there's a lot of validity to that. And I don't think it's absolute. I think there are other reasons, right? Purely just the habitualness of drinking sometimes. But that said, like if it is worth exploring, like, well, what could it be helping you to do? So I'll give some examples, right? Like maybe drinking is helping you to avoid making a decision, okay? Maybe you're unhappy in your relationship and you think that drinking is just going to be an easier way to escape, right? So escape might come up a lot with these. Maybe you're drinking because you're trying to help avoid the discomfort of a change that you want to make in your life. Maybe you're drinking as an attempt to self-regulate feelings of stress and anxiety. Or maybe you're drinking because you're afraid of taking action because of fear. Maybe you are drinking because you just want to avoid being with yourself, right? It's uncomfortable being with yourself because you haven't done it for so long. At that talk I went to the other day, Michael Sarwood was uh, Sargood, sorry, was there and he'd been on the podcast previously as well. And he shared something and I thought it was really great to hear and like made a lot of sense. And he talked about how alcohol drinking had become a hobby. Like for him, drinking was a hobby, right? And if ever he had free time, he would drink alcohol. And when he stopped drinking, he recognized that he had a lot of free time, right? But he didn't have any other hobbies. And it felt really uncomfortable to be with himself. It felt really uncomfortable to be with himself. So, yeah, you know, like recognizing that sometimes we drink because we don't know what else to do. Maybe it's because of boredom or restlessness, like maybe some other emotions. So what's it like to be with yourself? You know, do you find that uncomfortable? Are you okay with being with yourself? And neither one's right or wrong, right? Like if you're okay being yourself, great, but also, you know, there's room for being with other people. Or if you're not okay with being with yourself, well, maybe that's something that you can start exploring and thinking about, well, why is that? Like, what what is it about being with myself that feels so uncomfortable? And maybe it's just pure habit, right? Like maybe it's just something that you've done for so long that it's just that old habits die hard, right? Like maybe stopping at the off license on the way home from work, you're not feeling stressed, you know, like anything from it, you've had a really good day. Again, actually positive emotions can also be a reason to drink, but maybe it's just the pure habit of going and buying those drinks and then your brain's like, well, that's just what we do, right? That that subtle, simple thought of that's just what I do can be like so destructive in terms of wanting to change your behavior because your brain's like, well, this is what I do. Like there's no other way, which is of course not true at all. So something else you could actually do is when you are having an urge or a desire to drink is to ask yourself like, do I actually want this, right? And maybe your brain will say yes, and that's fine. We'll go, okay, so why do I want it, right? Like what's this gonna do for me? And then maybe your brain will say no as well. But then if it is yes, like ask why do I want it? Like what's what's the desire? Why are you trying to convince me that I need to have a drink right now? And then just be open to see what your brain comes back with, right? Because that's going to start showing you what your belief systems are. You could also look at urges on a scale of one to 10, right? Like the more 
you become aware of having an urge, you can start to put them on a scale of one to 10. So one being hardly anything and 10 being like super strong, right? Just ask yourself like on a scale of one to 10, like how strong is this urge? And then just notice what, whatever the first number that pops into your brain is, just like notice that's the number. And if, say it's a six, right? Like this comes back as a six. You go, okay, so what does a six feel like? What does a six feel like in my in my thought processes? What does a six feel like in how I'm feeling? And how does a six show up in my actions as well? And then when you do that, again, it's all about just creating self-awareness about what it's like to experience an urge. So... I'm just going to give you a couple of practical things that you can do, as I said I'd do earlier on, um, because I think it's important, you know, to find something that's going to be accessible to you in the moment. And if nothing feels accessible you to you in the moment, right, when you're having an urge or you just you just gone and autopilot and find yourself drinking, well, again, like self-reflection, that's going to help you for the next time. But if nothing feels accessible, like maybe some of these things I'm about to suggest, like you can start practicing them ahead of time. So you can start using them ahead of time so that when you need them the most, they're gonna be available to you. So some of those things might be mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is really about just getting present with what's going on. So it could be as simple as just naming some objects that you see in front of you. Could be as simple as just focusing on your breath. It could be counting, right? Like just counting back from a thousand or however whatever number you want to pick for yourself. So mindfulness, like really getting into the present moment, just noticing how your feet feel on the floor, noticing if you can feel any temperatures, notice any sounds you can hear. Like really all about just getting into that present moment. I said breathing in that as well, and I think breathing is super, super powerful, man. Like if you can just <laughs> get a couple of different breathing exercises together that you'll find them really helpful. So box breathing, for example, so like breathing in for three, hold for three, breathe out for three, hold for three, and do that like five or six times, for example. Because when you're focused on being mindful, whether it's on your breath or your body or sounds, etc., your attention is now not on having a drink, right? Like you're focused on something else. So as you're focusing on something else, like you're changing that neurochemistry in your body. And so that urge is gonna kind of dissipate because you're no longer focused on having it or thinking that you can't have it, right? Perhaps something physical is gonna be more appropriate for you. You know, like Tony Robbins is a massive advocate of like change your state, change your life. And so it could just be something really physical, right? Like do some press-ups, do some star jumps, do shout out loud, like find something that works for you and it's obviously appropriate to the environment you're in. So changing your environment. So what is it that you need to do? Like if you go in the kitchen and you've got bottles of beer or spirits everywhere, well, maybe it's about taking them away, right? Now, I honestly think that it's possible for you to be able to go into any environment and to not be worried or concerned or triggered by alcohol when you start rethinking alcohol, when you start unlearning that desire. But in the beginning, it may be important for you to take some of those things away for yourself. So I think just, you know, those are some practical things. Meditation as well, of course. Exercise, of course. There's lots of different things that you could do for yourself. Like maybe it's phoning up a mate and talking to somebody. Maybe it's talking to a coach, your coach or your therapist or 
whoever it may be. Maybe it's recording yourself. Maybe it's journaling, right? Like just finding different ways that you can manage it. Honestly, one of the things I find most powerful for me is just talking myself through my experience, right? Just acknowledging what's happening for me. I call it the three A's of feeling. So acknowledge, allow, accept. So acknowledge that I'm having an urge to eat something sweet, right? Allow it to be there and just accept that this isn't part of me, that, that nothing's gone wrong. Like this is just an experience I'm having based upon my thought processes and things that have happened in the past that dopamine is trying to convince me is important for the future. And curiosity, guys, you know, constantly, I'm a massive fan of it. Curiosity, just being curious with yourself, right? It's so easy to slip into beating ourselves up and go, oh, why is this happening? I don't understand it. I don't want this to be here, right? Versus going, oh, I wonder why this is happening. Like, what's going on for me? How can I learn from this? Like, what, what is it that's set off this thought and feeling cycle inside of me, right? Because then you can learn from it. All right, guys, amazing. So there you go, triggers and urges and how you can manage them. I had intended to keep this podcast episode short, but like so many things just kept coming up for me as I was sharing it. And I think it's really important because, you know, when you understand what triggers you, when you understand why you feel the urge to drink, you can do something about it. You don't have to just be a, a victim to those things, right? Recognizing that it's your brain having thought processes and emotional responses to those thought processes. And those are all things that over time and practice and reflection, you can change. All right, guys, have an amazing new year. I will see you all again soon. Next week, I'm going to talk about moderation. Uh, I think that's a hot topic that a lot of guys are always interested in. I'm going to share my opinions on that. So guys, have an amazing week. If you're doing dry January, you know, like these first week or two might be a little bit challenging for you, but I promise, I absolutely guarantee that like, when you stick with it, when you are doing this work and you're reflecting and rethinking for yourself, like it's going to get better. And the more distance you create between not drinking, uh, you'll be able to start thinking differently. You start to experiencing all those positive effects of not drinking. And it's a, an amazing thing to do. All right, guys, you take care of yourselves. I'll see you again soon. Bye bye for now.